If you have your Bibles this morning and you want to go ahead and open them up to Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're going to be in chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. And this is the final installment of our five-part series focusing on the concept of biblical worship. We're calling this series For the Glory of God. And so the very first Sunday in January, we started talking about who we worship, and then we moved to why we worship, and then we studied corporate worship, which is the gathering of the entire church together in the room. And then last week we looked at personal worship. And today we conclude our series by looking at family worship. And that is where our text comes from today. So before we get into our text, everyone watching should care about this topic. Even if you're not yet a parent, you might one day be a parent. Even if you're a parent, but you're a parent of children that are adults, this message is still applicable to you. It's never too late, whether your children are two or whether they're 42, to disciple them and lead them into a time of family worship. So we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 6, like I said, beginning in verses 4 through 9. Before we do that, though, I want to encourage everyone watching to understand that as you hear this sermon today, you might be inclined to feel guilty or to feel convicted because you haven't perhaps led your family to worship in the way that you would have hoped. But this message is not to, con to shame or to guilt anyone. This is to simply challenge all of us to examine what does it mean for us to lead our families in worship. And so there was an excellent book just written called Family Discipleship by Matt Chandler and Adam Griffith. It was written at the end of 2020. And that book lays out at the very beginning five things that family worship or family discipleship is not. And so I want to share those five with you before we begin our sermon together today. Number one, family discipleship is not free form spiritual exploration. In other words, to just tell your children or your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren, figure it out for yourself is not discipleship, okay? We need to be instrumental in leading our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren to an understanding of what the truth is. To allow them to just search for it on their own is actually not loving at all. So number one, family worship is not free-form spiritual exploration. Number two, family worship or family discipleship is not using the word of God in order to get your way. In other words, if we're not careful, we might manipulate the word of God or manipulate family worship just so that our kids behave well and when they become adults, we don't have to worry about them anymore right? That's not why we lead our families into worship. Number three, family discipleship is not a way to raise popular kids. You need to go ahead and let your children and your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren know that being a follower of Jesus in 2021 will not make you one of the cool kids. In fact, for many of us, if we challenge our children to follow the teachings of Jesus, it will make them be uncool. It will make them stand out more than they perhaps have ever before. So it is not a way to raise popular kids. Number four, family discipleship is not a strategy to become an admired parent. 
In other words, we don't just want to lead our kids to know God and to know him well because it makes us admired by our peers and our coworkers. And then number five, family discipleship is not always the most appealing path. Family worship is hard. Leading your family to understand the truths about God is not something that is easy. It is not relaxing. It is hard work. Sometimes when we gather with our kids, they're standing on their heads. They're pushing each other down. They're beating each other up. All as I'm reading the word of God, okay? So family worship is not always this perfect picture, sit down, let me share with you the truths of God's word, and the children are vigorously taking notes. That's typically not how it works, okay? So we need to understand that in spite of all of this, God still calls all of us, parents, grandparents, future parents, great-grandparents, to disciple those that God has entrusted to us. So Deuteronomy chapter 6 Beginning in verse 4, says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In the context of this passage, Moses is challenging the Israelites not only to worship God themselves, but to pass it on to the next generation. But as we begin this passage, everyone needs to understand that family worship begins with you and me. Mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, setting the tone for family worship has to begin with you. And I'm not talking about prioritizing it or carving aside time for it, I'm saying that if you are going to set the tone for your family and leading them in family worship, you yourself have to have personal worship. Remember last week we talked about the attitudes and the actions that we should aspire to have when we are engaging in our own personal worship. We talked about fearing God, knowing his ways, loving him, serving him, and imitating him. So before we can pass on to the next generation what it means to be a faithful follower of Jesus, we have to spend time ourselves in personal worship doing the very same thing. If there is no desire in our hearts or no time in our schedule for our own personal time with the Lord— The odds of us making it a priority for our children or for our grandchildren are very, very slim because we haven't made it a priority in our own life. So odds are we're not going to spill it out to the next generation. Everything in your life that you make time for, you have done so because you've made it a priority. We prioritize time in our day to exercise. We prioritize time in our day to go to work, 
to be involved in the community, to go to after-school activities like gymnastics and volleyball and basketball. So family worship is no different. If you're going to make family worship a regular routine within your household, you have to make it a priority. It doesn't just magically happen. So let me challenge all of the parents and the future parents and the grandparents to make it a priority. You have time to make this a priority. You do. You just might have to rearrange where your priorities are. I'm calling your bluff right now if you tell me that you don't have time in your schedule to have a family worship time weekly, daily, whatever it is that works for you and your family, it is vitally important. We make time for so many things in life. We can certainly make time for this. So let's weave together just for a moment the last few messages that we've talked about because they build on one another. Your personal worship affects the type of family worship that you will have. And it also affects the type of corporate worship that we have when we gather together on Sunday. So much of your personal time with God spills over into the gathering on Sunday morning. And it spills over into the time that we spend with our families. So it really begins with you. Family worship actually begins with personal worship. I had this excellent question posed to me. It's one of those moments when you're just sitting on the couch with the kids. I can't even remember what we were doing. My son Beckett looks at me and he says, Dad, does God ever stop breathing? It's a really good question, actually. I thought about it for a moment. How am I going to answer this in a way that is faithful to the Bible, but also communicates to my son what he's trying to figure out? So I thought about it for a moment. Does God... Stop breathing. Okay, Beckett, God in the flesh was Jesus, right? Yeah, Dad. Did Jesus die? Yes, he died on the cross. Okay, so Jesus, yes, stopped breathing. So God in the flesh, yes, he stopped breathing. Now, God the Father is not a body, right? God the Father is spirit. So does God the Father stop breathing well he doesn't have a body therefore no he doesn't stop breathing that was a very hard question to answer by the way very challenging and i share that with you to tell you that the questions that your children and your grandchildren are going to ask are very insightful and it's not always going to be as easy as just googling the answer to it you're going to have to know God's word, to be able to answer that in a way that is faithful to what scripture teaches about who God the Father is and who God the Son is. Children are very, very curious individuals. They need to be rooted in the teachings of what scripture says. And in order for them to know the scriptures well, that means you are going to need to know the scriptures well. So number one, family worship has to begin with you. Number two, family worship is not an event, but a lifestyle. 
Moses is basically telling the Israelites in this passage that as you are in the process of raising your family, you need to go about doing life with them in a way where they learn the truth of God's commandments. And that means that the typical sit-down lecture format is not always going to work with your children. It does not work well with my children. Part of the reason, I'm afraid, that so many children grow up to associate church with boredom is because many of the ways that they learned about God was in a format that was not compatible to how they are wired. It is very difficult to sit down with a three-year-old and have a one-on-one conversation about who God the Father and God the Son are. It doesn't work that way. So, family worship has to be a lifestyle rather than a specific event. Hear me this morning. You, as the parent or the grandparent, you are the primary disciple maker of your children. You are the primary disciple maker of your children. The church is not the primary disciple maker of your family. Let me show you how this works out. The most that church would have access to your children, the way things currently are, is about three hours a week. If you showed up on Sunday morning for worship, for community group, and then you came back on Wednesday night, we're talking three to four hours that the church is going to have with your children or your grandchildren. Schools have access to children seven hours a day for five days a week. That's 35 hours that the school, most likely, has access to your children. That means the church has three hours, the school has 35 hours, and you have the rest of the time to spend with your family. So parents, grandparents, that is the way that God designed it. We, the family, is supposed to be the primary mechanism through which children and grandchildren are discipled in the faith. And I know some people are thinking right now, I don't know how to disciple my children. I don't know how to disciple my grandchildren. And that is when the church comes into play. That is why the church is here. Paul tells us in Ephesians that the role of the church is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So we have Cindy and Trey and Bob and myself and other people that have been trained to help you as you equip, as you disciple your families to know more about God. You'll often hear this phrase, and it's more common in a COVID world than it's ever been. And here's the phrase, I'm cool with Jesus, but the church isn't really all that big of a deal to me. Or I love Jesus, but I don't love his church. And I want to say as politely and as respectfully as I can, the New Testament has no understanding of that statement. Jesus and his church are both vitally important. Jesus died for his bride, the church. Therefore, to have some sort of spirituality that says, I have a relationship with Jesus, but I'm really not cool with the church, is incompatible with the teaching of the Bible. Now, it's our job to equip 
parents and grandparents to be able to be the best possible disciple makers for their children and for their grandchildren. And I want to share with you just a few practical resources that I use in my own life. You might want to jot these down. They might be helpful to you and your family. Now, keep in mind, my children are on the younger spectrum. They're seven, five, and three. So not all of these resources will work if you have a 17-year-old or a 14-year-old. But I want to share with you some resources that we use in our family to help lead our children to know Jesus better. One resource is called Seeds Family Worship. These are videos that you can find on YouTube. You can purchase them. And basically, they are songs that are straight scripture. So our children have learned a lot of Bible simply by learning these songs. And they come along with motions and dances. And so when we gather every night, I can kind of get a feel for the room and determine, is this going to be a night when my kids can sit down and actually read a story or does this need to be a night when we just turn on the songs and let them dance around the room and sing scripture? And so they have learned so many songs doing this. And they laugh and they cut up, but they are singing straight scripture in the process. So it's called Seeds Family Worship. Number two, the New City Catechism. Now this is a free app that you can go on the app store and download. And it is a question and answer format about theology. Now the songs very much cater to younger children. But even if you didn't want to play the songs in the car with your family, you could still use the questions to bring about conversation with you and your family. So the very first question in the application says, what is our only hope in life and death? And the answer is that we are not our own, but belong to God. And so my children, we sing that when we're in the car. When I take my son to school in the morning, I pop on that app. And on the way to school, he sings those songs. And even though we don't have time to unpack them, as he's stepping out of the car, I know that he has that jingle in his head. And it gives him time to think through what we had sang on the way to school. Another question is, who is or what is God? The answer, God is the creator of everyone and everything. And so like I said, even if your children are not at the age where you can sing those types of songs with them, you can take the questions, you can take the answers, and you can just provide interaction with your family about that theological topic. It's a free resource. It's called New City Catechism. You can also purchase the book that comes along with it, but the app is free. So the songs are free if you wanted to download those. And then one thing that we do every single night, it's not even really a biblical game. We just say, Beckett, give us one high from your day and one low. Emma, give us the best part of your day and the worst part of your day. And we, we call it highs and lows. And we've been doing this since Beckett was like one year old. And so as soon as we sit down, can hardly even get a bite in my mouth before they say, well, let's play highs and lows. And so we allow our children, and me and Ashley have to participate as well, but we bring up the best parts of our day and the worst parts of our day. And sometimes in the midst of those moments, we come across something that we are then able to apply the Bible's teaching to. Now, yesterday something happened, and she'll be very embarrassed if I say this, but somebody knocked on our door and apparently my daughter had been throwing rocks at bikers 
as they were riding down the street. So that was concerning. And we gathered together for supper last night. And when we got to the highs and lows, everybody's low around the table was that our daughter had been throwing rocks at bikers when they drove by. And so we got to talk about the reason we treat people with kindness and the reason that God tells us to love our neighbors. And so we were able to speak truth into that conversation. And when we went to bed last night, we were all gathering together. We do a devotional time every night, and then we all pray. And in my daughter's prayer, she asked God to forgive her for throwing rocks at the bikers. So that was an encouraging, that was the high of the day that she connected the mistake that she made with God's forgiveness and God's love for her, even though she had messed up. So those are just some examples of ways that you can begin to set aside time to lead your family in worship. And I want you to understand that it happens as you go about doing life. Not everybody can carve aside an hour of their evening just to spend in prayer and fasting and meditation. That doesn't often work with children. So you have to find a way to communicate the truth of God's word as you go about doing life with them. On the way to baseball practice, on the way home from school, find a way just to slide it into the everyday activities of life. And then number three, family worship will leave a legacy. Verse 9 of this passage in Deuteronomy 6 indicates not only should you pass on the truth of Scripture to your children, but that your entire house and the gate to your house should be consumed with the Word of God. And this is what I mean by leaving a legacy. Let me ask you a question. When your children grow up, maybe they're already grown, but when they return home, what memories come to mind to them as they travel back home to your house? The pastor that I served with in New Orleans was one of like 15 children. And when his father passed away, all of the family assembled back in central Texas for the funeral. And he sent us this video at the end of the funeral as the family was walking out. We're talking hundreds of people by the time you have grandchildren and great-grandchildren and all of the siblings. It's literally like 90 to 100 people. And as they're walking out of the sanctuary at the end of the service, the family broke out in unison in song. These were songs that the patriarch of this family had taught his family from a very young age. And now, not only do his 15 children know those songs, they've passed it on to their children. And their children have passed it on to their children. And so that is an example of leaving a legacy. There were so many songs that all of these small children that had bet barely even gotten a chance to know their great-grandfather. They knew all of these songs because these songs had been passed down from generation to generation. The faithfulness of God to this family was evident in the songs that they sang about who God was. Grandparents, parents, future parents, your children and your grandchildren, they need a lot of things from you. They need to know how to tie their shoe. They need to know how to study for a test. 
They need to know how to hit a baseball. They need to know how to apply to go to college and how to become a functioning, successful member of a society. But the most important thing that they need from you is how to navigate being a follower of Jesus in this world. They need a biblical worldview more than they need from you a college scholarship, more than they need from you the ability to be able to get a job. They, know, they need to know how to navigate having a biblical worldview in a world that really doesn't care about what the Bible teaches. They need your help in how to respond when someone at school laughs at them for believing in sexual morality in a world where sexual immorality is rampant. They need your help when all of their friends on Sunday morning, <coughs> excuse me, they need your help when all of their friends on Sunday morning are sleeping in or playing travel ball all over the place. They need your help to understand why gathering with the body of Christ on Sunday morning is so important. They need you to help them unpack that. They need your help to understand when they go off to college and it's all about you get the job that will pay you the most amount of money whereas they have learned from you that you get a job that means you are being obedient to Christ first and foremost even if that means you don't make tons of money. That is when they need your help. They need your help so that they can learn how to have a biblical worldview in a world that is less and less interested in what the word of God teaches. That will leave a legacy. When your children and your grandchildren return home, the memories that they should have, the memories that we desire for them to have is that of love and grace and compassion and most importantly, the truth of God's word and the person of Jesus Christ as displayed in scripture. During COVID, the very beginning of COVID, when everybody was on their home improvement kick, Ashley and I went one day and got some blueberry bushes. And we bought like three different kinds because they have to cross germinate. And we went home and I was so excited. We all love blueberries. We planted them in the backyard and we faithfully watered them for about two weeks. Well, that's not enough. If you're going to care for a garden or for plants within your garden, you have to be persistent. You have to be consistent day in and day out, making sure that they get the water and the nutrients they deserve. You can't just grab some seed, chuck it into the garden and say, good luck. That's what I did with my bushes and they're now dead. When it comes to family worship, you and me are gonna have to be very intentional. We don't just accidentally lead our children or our grandchildren to know more about Jesus. We have to be intentional. We have to be consistent. We have to be faithful. And here's the deal. Human beings, generally speaking, are not that way. Therefore, we need the power of the Spirit to make us convicted about the urgency 
of leading our children and our grandchildren to know more about the truth of God's word. We need the Spirit's help. On our own, we will get distracted. On our own, we will get tired. But it's the Spirit that can come alongside of us and push us through to make it a priority. It's the Spirit who can help us become intentional, even if we have not been intentional up to this point. Jesus teaches this in Matthew chapter 7 in the Sermon on the Mount, verses 24 to 27. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. I don't want to lead anybody astray today. Just because you have a time of family worship, whether that be daily, weekly, monthly, does not guarantee that when your children or your grandchildren become adults, that they will automatically follow after Jesus. There is no guarantee of that. But I can guarantee you there almost won't be any chance of them growing up to do it if we don't try to make it a priority in our own families. Remember, it is the church's job to come alongside of you, to encourage you, and help you to become the parent that God desires for you to be. And it could be today that there are some watching who have realized, I have not made this a priority in my family's life. And I want to encourage you that it is never too late to begin doing this. Whether your child is 20 or two, you can begin leading your family into a time of worship where you recount all of the ways that God has provided for you and you teach them the faithfulness of God's word. Children always need their parents. That never goes away. And so you can make it a priority today. Perhaps some of you here don't even know what family worship is because you don't have personal worship. And that is because you don't know who Jesus is. You don't know what he's done for you. There's going to be an opportunity at the end of our service today where you can text some different numbers and one of our staff would reach out to you and love to talk with you about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, what it means to turn from our sin, to trust in the finished work of Christ on the cross, and to be with God forever in eternity. We would love to have that conversation with you today. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this passage that Moses has given us. We pray for our own families that you have entrusted to us. God, help us to steward these families well. God, no matter what age our children are, no matter what age our grandchildren are, they always need their parents. They always need their grandparents. So give us the boldness, the confidence to speak biblical truth into the lives of those that you have entrusted to us. And if family worship time is, is not a priority, God, I pray that you would give us all ideas, help us to set aside time in our schedules to make the gathering together of the family 
studying God's word, praying together, help us to make that a priority. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for what Jesus did for us, dying on the cross for our sin in our place because of his love for us. And that is why we are here today to worship because of what Jesus has done for us. We ask all these things in Christ's name, amen.